Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, welcome to another episode of the Basketball Podcast. Everything about the past and basketball, or excuse me, the past and basketball all in the one. And sometimes it's hard to say, it's a funny word. But I'm super, super, super excited to bring on today's guest. He is the first member of our sister pods here at the Basketball Podcast Network that I'm having on the podcast. And this is going to be a fun one. It's a it's a topic that I don't think gets a lot of celebration. And, you know, that's what I love here on the Passable Podcast. He is the host of the Grizz Weekly Grind podcast, and he is the play-by-play guy for Fox Sports Southeast, the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, Mr. Pre- Mr. Pete Pranica. Thank you so much for coming on, Pete. And how's your day going? <laughs> Day's going well, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. It was a nice sunny day in Memphis today and, and no game today and uh, getting ready for another game tomorrow, such as life in the NBA. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday and the Grizzlies have had a cuff, have had a tough couple, I can't talk today, couple tough games to start out. They, they had that COVID absence, but then they've come back and they've played, they're, they're kind of still getting into their groove. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say uh, they they do seem to match up pretty well with San Antonio in the first two games out of the hiatus, or as we say, the Grizzlies were parked. Uh, they played two of the best games that you could possibly imagine. And uh, again, it's a, it's a good matchup for the Grizzlies. Indiana, the Sabonis playing very, very well. And the Grizzlies were playing the third and four nights. And I think fatigue was a little bit of a struggle there. Defensive intensity wasn't there. And then um, against Houston, yeah, John Wall doing John Wall things and, and the Grizzlies. You know, Grizzlies have been playing very, very shorthanded. I mean, for the entire season, they haven't had Jaron Jackson Jr., haven't had Justice Winslow. Uh, Grayson Allen, Jonas Valanciunas missing the last handful of games in health and safety protocols, but they will be available for the Saturday night game at New Orleans. So very exciting to get some healthy bodies back uh, in uniform. Mm-hmm. And you can hear more about current and future Grizzlies stuff on Pete's podcast, the Grizz Weekly Grind, which comes out twice per week here on the Basketball Podcast Network. So go and be sure to check that out. But on the Basketball Podcast, we are talking about the past. So the 2021 Grizzlies were an exciting bunch, but we're taking this back to 2001. And that's 20 years ago this year, the Memphis Grizzlies moved to Memphis from Vancouver and they made a big trade on 2001 NBA draft night and they acquired the third overall pick dealing Sharif Abdur Rahim as the main player in that package to get a guy by the name of Pau Gasol and Pete you weren't in Memphis at the time we talked a little bit about this before the show but talk to me about when Pau Gasol was drafted you were with the Trailblazers at the time and what did you think of this trade when it first came out well, one of the things that really struck me was the fact that the Grizzlies were parting with their signature player in Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who had been had been their guy in Vancouver. And I don't study the draft as assiduously as some people do. Um, and I was the radio pre-half and post host for the Portland Trailblazers at the time. And so I was hosting the draft coverage. And I see the name come up and I see Pau Gasol, Noel. Like, what kind of name is Pow? I mean, that that was, yeah, I have to admit, that, that was that was my first impression is like, what kind of name is Pow? And you go back 20 years, Jeremy, and, and people forget that 20 years ago, a European player was pretty unusual. 
mm-hmm. to go that high in the draft. And there was also the the stigma or the stereotype that European players were soft. And so it was like, okay, so who's this Pavel Gasol? He's really skinny. He's really tall. Can this can this guy really play basketball? I think that was kind of the the, the first uh, the first take I think that a lot of us had. Because you had you had Dirk Nowitzki come out in 1998, and that was a huge question mark. But nobody had been drafted this high in the draft, and you know, in the 20 years since seeing an international player come out as a high pick, a top three pick, is not nothing new. You know, 2002, Yao Ming was there, Darko Milicic in 2003. I could go on and on and name probably uh, two dozen or so, you know, top picks that came from Europe, and and Paul Gasol was one of these guys, and. You know, not only was Paul Gasol a question mark, but he proved his doubters wrong in his first year, one rookie of the year, and literally put Memphis, you know, kind of on the basketball map. Obviously, their their first team, it was a guy that Paul Gasol, you could say, was a guy that Memphis could say he was one of their own. So is, that, well, is that fair to say? Well, I mean, it, it, it came to be that way because the Gasol family moved to Memphis. And, of mm-hmm. course, that's part of the story that Mark Gasol then went to high school at Lausanne Collegiate. Uh, Powell's father um, took a job at, at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So, yeah, they, they did become very much inculcated into, into Memphis. And, you know, Powell, the other thing that, that helped Powell is the fact that the Grizzlies also got Shane Battier. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and so there was a, a marketing campaign complete with stickers, "Pow" and "Batman," uh, <laughs> and and so that I remember, uh, you know, visiting Memphis as a visiting broadcaster for the Portland Trailblazers, and you see these stickers everywhere, "Pow" and "Batman," and dressing them up as superheroes, and 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 it was kind of cool. But I remember too, my first season, I think, with with Portland was when Nowitzki was drafted, and Dirk Nowitzki, his first season. You were like, what is this guy doing? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't know how to play the NBA style. And how good is he going to be? He was just kind of wild and uh, and not really into the NBA mode. And there was a little bit of that from Powell. But when Powell could dunk on Kevin Garnett and stare him down, I think that was one of the things that, that, certainly, won, that certainly won Memphis over in, in the eyes of Powell. Yeah. And Powell Gasol in his rookie year, it was the rookie of the year, Nine, uh, he had 17.6 points per game, nearly nine rebounds. And the good thing about him playing in Memphis was a team that was clearly rebuilding. They had him, uh, Shane Battier, Pow, and Batman. And then you have White Chocolate, Jason Williams, in his first season with Memphis. The three of them were arguably their three best players, their three leading scorers. And you could see, and that's kind of... You know, when young players get a chance to really play, sometimes that's that's what's beneficial for them. You know, some rookies benefit from waiting and playing behind veterans, but others, especially in the beginning of their career, benefit from getting as many reps as possible. Now, that 0102 Grizzlies team, somewhat reminiscent of the teams in Vancouver, not very good. They finished 23 and 59, but that there were signs of something building there. And I think you could say these reps that Powell took in his rookie year ultimately benefited a little more down the line. Without any question. I think there was an issue of how do we use Powell? Because in the NBA, and again, you know, we're thinking 20 years ago, your seven footers didn't shoot threes. 
You know, your seven footers are post guys. I mean, that's that's what you're used to anyway. And so for the NBA and its fans, it was like, well, what do we do with this kid? Because he's a little he's a little different. And the opportunity to try and figure out exactly what style he should play and how he should play and how his style of play ultimately ran counter to the prevailing wisdom of how big men played in the NBA. And and you could say that he is maybe one of the the pioneers of, of, of the stretch four, uh, along with Kevin Garnett. I, I think that you could you could certainly make a, a legitimate ar- legitimate argument along those lines. Yeah, and it took Powell a little bit of time to get acclimated in that whole Memphis team that was kind of growing up together. And it took them until year three to get things going. So the 2003-2004 campaign, it was the Grizzlies third in Memphis as well. And this team was a bit of a surprise. And Hubie Brown, was who took over as coach the year before, ended up leading this team to 50 wins. The best mark at this point in Grizzlies franchise history as they never made a playoff appearance in Vancouver. And they make the playoffs. And, you know, Pete, I know you weren't in Memphis at the time, but do you hear stories about people, maybe some people that were within the organization or just people around Memphis and how they talk about this 03-04 team, the first Memphis playoff team? They speak about it with a certain reverence. Mm-hmm. because that was a team that played very, very hard. Obviously, Hubie Brown ends up being coach of the year that year. Um, it was Michael Heisley, the owner at the time, deciding, well, what the heck? I'm going to swing for the fences here. I'm going to see if Jerry West wants to come work here. I'm going to see if Hubie Brown wants to come work here. And I had uh, had Jeff Calkins, longtime sports columnist in Memphis, on my podcast, The Grizz Weekly Grind, and and he recalled, when Hubie was hired, people in Memphis were like, what are you doing? You know, Hubie Brown's been on television forever. I mean, you, you're going to hire this guy? But, you know, you got Jerry West, you got Hubie Browns, two recognizable names, and the results are there. Um, and it was a team that had any number of, of magical wins, improbable wins. And Don Poyer, the late original voice of the Grizzlies coined the phrase only in the movies and in Memphis. And it happened that year because there were so many games, you know, James Posey hitting a half court shot in Atlanta, um, you know, just a lot of different things really fell into place. And and that team, if I, if I'm not mistaken, Jeremy, I think it got to 50 wins with several games left. And then, then really, uh, you know, the wheels started to fall off. And then, of course, they get swept by San Antonio in the first round. But that was when Memphis first started to fall in love with the Grizzlies. Memphis has, and people who have been here for a while will agree with me, this is not an outsider, you know, casting shade at, at the city of Memphis. Memphis does have a little bit of an attitude of things won't work here. Uh, they didn't get the NFL team when the Oilers relocated. They played, you know, at the Liberty Bowl for a year and then moved, moved, to, moved to Nashville. So there was always, this is never going to work here. And the other part is that a lot of people forget there was tremendous opposition to the Grizzlies even being located in Memphis. A lot of people in Memphis didn't want the Grizzlies to be here. They didn't want the taxes. They didn't want the arena. They felt this is never going to work here. But with that 50-win team, and you're in the playoffs, 
and you're building a brand new building that is going to be you know, funded by FedEx or, or title sponsored by FedEx. And all of a sudden the city's going like, hey, wait a minute, this is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Because until that point, Memphis, the Memphis Tigers, Memphis State Tigers, you know, back in the day, they had really ruled the basketball world as far as Memphians were concerned. And now you got the Grizzlies and that that Grizzlies team in late March, early April, go on a seven game win streak that included a double overtime win against the Hawks to get win number six. And then they proceeded to lose six of their last seven. And then going into the playoffs with that, you're, you're not starting off the right foot. And then of course you have San Antonio, the defending champions in the first round and uh, four quick losses sent the Grizzlies, you know, right back home. And, but there's, there's room for optimism here. You've got Pau Gasol, who's not even in his prime yet. Shane Battier appears to have his best basketball ahead of him. And you're, you're looking at a very young team. There's, there's the core of this team is in their young twenties and James Posey, you have guys, James Posey, Jason Williams, those guys are potentially entering their prime. They're strong players on this team. And it seems like everything's going strong going into 04, 05. But then there are talks about, you know, trouble in paradise. And this is where we'll pick up with Hubie Brown. So Hubie Brown coming off of Coach of the Year honors, very unexpected playoff run, only in the movies and in Memphis. But this is a script you – it's hard to write with what happened with Hubie Brown afterwards. Yeah, it, it is hard to write. And that was my first year with the Grizzlies. I had been hired to do the radio play-by-play for non-televised games – I'm sorry, for televised games. Don Poyer was moving from radio to television mm-hmm. uh, as Matt Devlin had moved on to be the voice of the Charlotte Bobcats. And it was Thanksgiving night. I forget where we were supposed to play the next day. And in those days, we flew Champion Air, that these ancient 727s that we walked up the back stairs and the broadcasters and media relations sat in the back of the plane and the players and coaches all sat up in front. And I had been very good friends with Scotty McCullough, who had been the assistant trainer and then the head athletic trainer for the Grizzlies going back to Vancouver days. And... And Scotty was very tight with Don Poyer, as I was. And Don and I are sitting there in the back of the plane, and the plane's not taking off. And I see Scotty come to the back of the plane with tears streaming down his face. And I thought, oh, my God, have we had a player in a car accident? You know, what has happened? And what had happened was Hubie had told the team that he was retiring. He was finished. And Scotty, who was very, very close to Hubie, as, as most athletic trainers and head coaches, that is a very big and important relationship. Scotty, tears come because Hubie had meant so much to the team. And then Hubie just head down, marches straight down the aisle and down the back stairs of the plane, and he's gone. And we're all like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hubie said it was health. Um it was it was a rough start to the season. Um, I think that there was some discomfort with the players, and uh, Hubie's son Brendan Brown was part of the staff. Uh, there were rumors that you know Brendan Brown was was had too much responsibility maybe on that coaching staff, and the players didn't like it. 
you know, and anytime you have Jason Williams, Jason Williams doesn't mince words. And, and I don't know that he was terribly happy with the way things were. So there were just a lot of things going on. And I never really got the full story as to why QB walked out. Was it strictly health? Maybe, maybe not. Not, not quite sure. And uh, I, I don't have a definitive answer, but it obviously was a very dramatic and like, what just, oh my God, what just happened moment. Mm-hmm. Well, Hubie took, you know, retired from basketball coaching in the league, at least, you know, that was, that was kind of it for his coaching career, but he ended up going back to the booth, had uh, continued his broadcasting career. And I believe he still does games today. Am I not, am I not mistaken? I, yeah, he does. He does some games for ESPN. I think he's, he's, he's kind of limited now because the game's, with COVID and, you know, mm-hmm. Hubie is, is deep into his eighties, but um, what, that was one of the fun experiences of my career for the short period of time that Hubie was still the coach and I was doing the games on radio. And so I would go into his office and it was the easiest interview you could ever do because mm-hmm. you'd say, all right, Hubie, we got the Atlanta Hawks tonight. They've got so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so what's important tonight. And then he'd go like, wow, yeah, you know, the Atlanta Hawks, as you know, you know, shoot fifty-two percent from you know the free throw line, and 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 it was and it was great because Hubie would have a stat sheet and he would have notes all over it and lines going everywhere, and he would I would be in the coach's office and I would look at his sheet and I would try to figure out looking at it upside down what he thought was important, and so then I wanted to ask him a question that would lead him to you know where he thought the interview should go, uh, but super detail oriented years after the fact uh, I ran into Hubie uh, doing an ESPN game and we were doing it side by side. And he asked me something about, you know, I've been watching your games on league pass and uh, the audio's all messed up. What's <laughs> up with that? And I, ah, Coach, I got nothing for you. I really don't know, but that that's the level of detail. And this is a conversation. Some of us in, in the business have if, okay, your broadcast partner, bucket list all right if you could do a game with anybody who would it be and and i i would love to do a game with hubie brown because he is he is so smart and when he was coaching he allowed the broadcasters to be in the daily shoot around i learned more basketball watching hubie brown and other people who covered the grizzlies at the time will tell you they learned more basketball when hubie brown was coached than at any other time since the grizzlies have been here yeah, and the thing with Hubie Brown is the Grizzlies showed with that move from from Sidney Lowe to Hubie Brown that they were committed to getting guys that had a lot of experience and they they were creating Memphis into a basketball town. Is that is that kind of how it became because at this point Memphis doesn't have any other professional sports team, they, they struck out with the Oilers coming and eventually settling in Nashville. Nashville also gets the Predators, and Memphis is kind of seen as this, you know, toss to the side, but then they get the Grizzlies. And your Hubie Brown brought success to the Grizzlies. And then you go out and you get Mike Fratello, another very strong, traditional basketball mind. So talk about the idea of after Hubie leaves, Mike Fratello coming in? Well, it was one of those things that uh, Michael Heisley, in his business life, what he did is he bought undervalued companies, bought them for pennies on the dollar, 
and then would remake those companies and get really good people in there and then build these companies back up. And then, of course, you can sell them for, you know, not pennies on the dollar, but tens of dollars on the dollar. And I think he, he treated the Grizzlies kind of the same way, that this is an underperforming group. And so we are going to swing for the fences. And so we are going to get Mike Fratello, who is an excellent basketball coach. And it was the same ethos that that's how you got Jerry West. Who thought Jerry West was going to come to Memphis and be the general manager? But Mike Heisley said, what the hell? I'll, I'll give him a call. All he can do is say no. And the commitment was to, to get Fratello, who was a Hubie Brown disciple, and it just seemed to be a natural fit, and, and it did work. And the, the funny thing about Hubie Brown is there were 16 years between Hubie Brown's last stint in coaching, then coming to Memphis. And with Mike Fratello, there was also a couple of years, not as much as 16, but there were about five or six years of a, di- uh, of a gap between his last coaching stint, which was in Cleveland, and Memphis. And in his 13 years of coaching, made nine playoff appearances. It's pretty. It's pretty good track record. And you're taking over this Grizzlies team that just came off of another playoff appearance, but they're struggling out of the gate. So how was Mike Fratello able to turn this ship around? I think it took a, a, a bit of time for some guys maybe to buy in, but Mike Fratello was very much part of, part of the Hubie Brown system. And there was a little bit of hangover. I mean, you know, things weren't going great, but Hubie leaves and it's like, oh, wow, this, 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 this is serious. And then Fratello comes in and, uh, he got guys to play together, to play hard together. And the key for me, at least in watching the shoot arounds with Mike Fratello is that Shane Battier really took over as the defensive captain of that team and, and got them to a point where they could, they could win basketball games and and be very good. Um, You know, there are, there are ebbs and flows and sometimes teams need to find their identity. And it took them a while to find their identity with Fratello. you know, because Mike can be a he can be a very stern taskmaster and be very very demanding and and not that Hubie wasn't because Hubie could be, but Mike Fratello demanded things and uh, you know again how do you connect with players that that's a big thing and finally Fratello got through and guys started to buy in and realize that look we may not like his personality but if he you know what he tells us gives us a chance to win if we do it properly and that's when I think the tide started to turn. Mm-hmm. So the Grizzlies at Christmas Day 2004 sat 12 and 17 in the standings. Not a playoff team, especially in the West back then, because the Western Conference was a gauntlet. It was super, there was so much talent. I feel like throughout the entirety of the 2000s and even a couple years after that, it seemed like the West teams that were winning, you know, going above 500 wasn't a guarantee to make the playoffs in the West. But after Christmas, you start to see the tides turn a little bit. They win 10 of 11 right after Christmas. And that kind of catapults them back into where they want to be. And then they make the playoffs. This time, though, as an eight seed, but as a 45-win team, which is so very impressive. They would probably be a much higher seed in the Eastern Conference. But when 
Pete, your first year in Memphis, they make the playoffs. Was it seen as a success that they made the playoffs? Or was it just like, okay, we're going to get bounced in the first round because we're an eight seed? <laughs> I think there was a little bit of both. But look, given the way that the season started, and given that, you know, Hubie retiring early in the season, the fact that you're able to make the playoffs is is a huge thing. Um, but you you go in as an eight seed and, you know, Phoenix is a really, really good basketball team. It has Steve Nash. And uh, although Memphis did have some success against Phoenix in the regular season that year, so there was some optimism that maybe, maybe you get a game. Maybe you get two games if you're lucky. But, uh, of course, that's not the way things turned out. Yeah, so, Memf- uh, so Memphis went to Phoenix. They lost game one by 11. Game two, though, was a little bit close. They lost by five. Do you remember how close that game two was? And and if Mem- that was Memphis's best chance to win, I'd assume. So how, what about that game sticks out in your mind? You know, I don't remember details because it's so long ago. Sometimes I, I'm not sure I remember what I had for lunch today. Um, but... <laughs> But I, I do remember, I was working with Michael Cage at the time, and I do remember there was a sense that, hey, we're, we're sitting on potentially a big moment where the Grizzlies are going to win their first playoff game. So our antenna were up that, okay, we have to be on our P's and Q's. We have to be ready because this could be a seminal moment in franchise history. Mm-hmm. Except it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> So close, so close. But yet again, second year in a row, the Grizzlies go out in a first round sweep. And after that first year, it does is that year considered a success in franchise history? That 2005 season, they are bounced through a sweep in the second round. Was it, or excuse me, in the first round for the second year in a row? So, what is the attitude about the team after 2005? They they fought hard they got themselves into a position where they could be in the playoffs. I mean, you know, that that's always going to be a, a marker of success because yeah, the wins weren't quite as numerous as they were the year before, but the fact of the matter is you did make the playoffs. You, you made Phoenix sweat at least a little bit in one game. Um, so yeah, I think it was, it was looked at as, as a success, but then it also dovetails in with what I talked about a little bit earlier that in Memphis, like, well, nothing works here. You know, I was like, well, we can make the playoffs. We just can't win playoff games. Well, it would be a while before that would change, of course. Yes. And who knows? Maybe in part two, they'll have a shot at making the playoffs. So tune in to tomorrow's uh, continuation of this conversation. We're going to talk about the end of the Pau Gasol era. We're at a very interesting point. So we don't want you. That's why we're stopping now so that you have to continue and watch the next episode or listen to the next episode tomorrow. So if you don't want to miss it, make sure you subscribe and download the basketball podcast on your podcast app of choice. You can also follow basketball on Twitter at basketball. That's P A S T K E T ball. And you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like at Jeremy Brenner. That's J E R E M Y B R E N E R. Thank you so much to Pete. Thank you for coming on today and feel free to drop whichever Twitter Twitter handles you have up your sleeve and tell the listeners where they can catch you. Well, my, my Twitter handle is very simple. It's at Pete Pranica. That's P E T E P R A N I C A. And the Grizz weekly grind can also be heard here on the basketball podcast network. where we talk about all things Grizzlies. We'll also talk about some uh, things that are maybe not totally basketball related, but uh, related to the city of Memphis and, uh, 
we'll have some fun, some really good interviews. I've enjoyed the long form interviews. So check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Sounds good. And if you want to follow the Grizz Weekly Grind, basketball, and all of the other podcasts on the Basketball Podcast Network, you can follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And until next time, rewind and be kind.